All right. Well, thank you again, Julian, and good morning once again. If I just here a second ago, if I happened to miss you earlier, my name is Wayne, and the pastor here at Downtown Community, and um, you've chosen a great week to be with us. Um, it's kind of a fun time of the year. We just finished up a great series um, called Being Rich. And we were celebrating last week, just kind of reminiscing over the year entirely, but just how um, God has been using us to love this city. And if you knew, if you're with us in the series, you knew that we set a goal of originally of raising $5,000 for New City Kids. And we ended up bumping that up because it was met immediately. And it was just a really exciting month that we pretty much hit the $10,000 goal. We announced that last week. So that's really exciting. And so if you missed us, that happened. We wanted to let you know that. You can still give to that. It's on our website and on our PushPay giving platform. You just move the menu to New City Kids. And they actually came and visited us last month. And so this week, we're going to be giving them that check. I'm really excited about that. And it's just really fun to give. And we've been learning what it means to, to what it really means to be rich and what matters most, being rich in good works. And, and so we just have walked through that journey. And then next week, we're going to be engaging Christmas here at Downtown Community. And so for the next three Sundays after this, we'll be celebrating with our Christmas services every single week on December 5th, 12th, and 19th. And then also our Christmas Eve, we're going to do a Christmas Eve service, but we're going to be doing it online. And so wherever you may be for Christmas Eve, we're going to gather. And, uh, we're, and so it allows us to kind of be a church family wherever you may be. Uh, for that. So I'm really excited about the next month that's coming ahead and joining in the Christmas season. I don't know if you get excited about Christmas or not, or you're on your way there. And I think some of you probably had Christmas music playing all weekend, and then some of you are like, no, you've got to wait. And so I don't know where you're at in that, that spectrum. We actually uh, have already have our tree up. Uh, we, just, we just get right after it, but um, I'm excited to engage that with you. So that's all starting next Sunday. And you are welcome. It's a great time to invite your friends and neighbors to come enjoy Christmas as well. So today, I want to take the opportunity to talk about something that's, that's really important that comes up in our lives uh, quite a bit. And you can see in the slides here, uh, we're calling this conversation Killing It. We're learned to, to kill it. And it's a kind of a play on words where we're wanting to kill one thing that's in our lives that has the potential to destroy us, but it allows us than to get after it and kill it in our own lives. And so just kind of a play on words a little bit. Uh, but we're going to learn to kill the thing in us that has the potential to kill actually everything good around us. And maybe you're, you're, you could guess it, but it's pride. This big word called pride. And I'm going to talk about it in one specific way today. Now there's good and bad pride, right? So this isn't the pride that like you have in your children. You know, it's the pride that causes you to yell at your children because they didn't represent you well out on the ball field. So this isn't the pride that you take in your work. Like, that's a good thing. It's the pride that causes you to celebrate at work when somebody you work with screws up. You're like, oh, they got what they deserve. Like, I, you know, I did this good. Anyway, it's the pride that diminishes you. It actually shuts you in. Shuts others out and shuts God out as well. It's, it's a pride that keeps you from saying what needs to be said and hearing <laughs> what needs to be heard. It's hard. We ignore, we shut out, we do all these different things. And so I want you and me to get in this habit of seeing it, 
Sing it and just calling it out in our lives and, and being able to identify where this can be destructive towards you. And when you learn to see it and identify it, it, it gives you a great place for you to protect your heart and actually see and achieve the things that you long to achieve in your life. And so this affects you just in your heart, with your relationships with others. It helps you in your career. It helps you in all different types of ways. And so the scriptures inform us in such great ways. And so um, we want to begin to look at this. And so one big thing is, is, is when it comes to pride, and this is the specific area we're going to look at today, it's, it's the appetite to be known. It's the appetite to be recognized. And so being known is a good thing. God has created us for this desire to be known, to be known by Him and really been known by others as well. But it's an appetite that we have to constantly feed when it becomes really the center of what we want. And so we have an appetite for being known in all kinds of ways. We want to be friended. We want to be followed. We want to be liked. We want to be mentioned. We want to be recognized, admired, or sought after, or envied. Some of these things are, are not bad in and of themselves, but when it's be an appetite that we have to feed, it can be dangerous. So really in all of us, no matter how introverted you may feel you are or extroverted, we all have a little Lady Gaga in all of us, okay? That's what you came here to hear me say, right? We all live for the applause, applause, applause. Some of you laughed, that's all right. <laughs> But we started this young, right? We, right at an early age, we're like, watch me, watch me, watch me do this. Look at how I do this. I remember one time as a kid, this is the one time where it really got me in trouble. But I, I loved riding my bike. And so one day I was like, I want to I create a ramp for this bike. And so I found some bricks laying around and this, this like scrap piece of, it was like an old tiny door, like not very big. And I stacked these bricks up and put this old door on it. And I was like, this is going to be a ramp. And then to my surprise, it actually worked. And so I was on the street, and I went up and, and was able to do it. And as a kid, I was like, this is awesome. And, and so then one my, my, my dad sees me doing this, and, he's, and so he, he's like, you can't do this. He's like, I don't want you using this ramp in the street, which is where I was doing it. And it was a straight path. And so I interpreted those instructions. In his mind, he was like, don't do it. But I just interpreted it as, oh, I, I just don't, can't do it in the street. <laughs> So I found another spot, which was our driveway, which was sort of a driveway. It was just this tiny little, you know, downhill, like, I mean, barely anything. Just went down a little bit off the street, and then there was a place for two cars to be. And so I set my ramp on this slope. And as I'm setting up, my neighbor comes home, and I'm like, hey, watch me do this. I've got this thing here. Watch this. And I, and I, for the, I think it was the first time I, I hit it. And right where the cars are supposed to be parked, they weren't there at the time. I didn't realize it, but the pavement came up. My tire hit this little lip of pavement, and my bike halts, and I go flying while my neighbor is watching <laughs> and slammed down onto the concrete. I didn't break anything, as far as I know, um, but I was in a lot of pain and then thoroughly embarrassed as my neighbors, you know, watching me scream out in pain, and I'm crying, and it's awful. And so there you go. Like, we, we start out that early. We just want people to see us. And so we grew up, and we lived for the applause of our fathers and our mothers. And some of us got it. Some of us didn't get it. 
But for wherever you were at in that, none of us got enough of it. It was never enough because it's an appetite. And so as in adults, as we get older, the audience got different. And so this can be a good thing. But at times, it gets you and I in trouble. It leads us to places where we're angry, we hurt others, and we're just not satisfied. And so let's look at that and let's learn to guard our hearts. So it's an appetite. Okay, there's an appetite to be known. So that means that if we feed it, it will grow. It grows and you need more of it and you need more of this and never this. So it, it's never fully or finally satisfied. So those are things that help us understand that this is an appetite. And so, you know, the, the more friends you have, you want more. The more fans you have or the followers, like it's never enough because you suddenly find someone else who has more of this and it sets the standard higher. We compare with our neighbors or the circumstances we're in. You never really hear that often. Someone saying, I don't, I don't have enough. Or no, sorry, I've said this the wrong way. They never say like, I have enough friends. I've got enough followers. I'm good. I hit 500, oh, that's it, okay. You know, or I don't want to be recognized for anything. I want people to know I did good at this. You rarely would hear someone say this. Or I don't want to see my name in print. Like, that's a rare thing. We want this to be known. So it's in you to be known. It's there. And it's a good thing. God has put that in you. To be known by Him, it's good. But there is no amount of known that will satisfy your appetite to be known for the thing, whatever it is that you've determined that you want to be known for. It's a bottomless pit. There's no amount that you can actually achieve. So that means that somewhere in all of us, whatever that is, you're going to be on this constant quest to see this happen. Not in all areas. There's some things that you could care less about. You're like, all right, I don't know why this person does that. Who cares? Like, like, but, but there's other things, one or two things maybe that you've known, you've decided are important to you. And you'll rest your sense of self-worth on that. Your, your sense of self-esteem on these things. And when our identity and our worth is tied to it, that's when we want to be careful. We're learning to see this. So it is powerful because of that. It's powerful. And it has the potential then, because of that power, to be dangerous. And, and strange sometimes, too. <laughs> that has the potential to make you strange. So... We want to learn to see this. And so fortunately, the gospel writers, the gospel writers were inspired to include the story of a, of a guy named John. And he's known as John the Baptizer because that's what he did. He, he baptized tons of people. And, and he's usually referenced as John the Baptist, which is really weird to say now because we have in, in you know, the English Christian world, we have different denominations and all these different things. within the, And so there's a Baptist denomination. So it sounds like, like they had this then. It didn't exist. Like Jesus was just coming on the scene here. And, and so, so it's not known as John the Baptizer, but it's referenced as John the Baptist. So uh, from his story, we see and gain an incredibly helpful insight, a really helpful insight of someone who became incredibly famous and known and gave it all up. And it teaches us how to handle 
the pressure. Maybe you're like, well, I don't have a lot of followers. I don't, like, but what if that did happen? Or how do you handle recognition? How do you? And so this helps us see and gives you and I a foundation for this. So we're going to learn how to be known and how to handle it and how that can actually serve your life in a really powerful way. And so we're going to look at uh, from Mark, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John. They both give us insight. They both wrote about this story. And Mark helps us see how popular he was. It's crazy. So this is found in Mark 1, verses 4 through 5. Mark starts with this story. I love it. When he's, he's explaining who Jesus is, this is where he begins. And so it says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now here, listen to this statement. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Like, that's crazy. Like, if we take this literally, and it's actually a little hard for us to take it literally, because that's an unbelievable amount of people. And so I think we, we in, they're interpreting this a little bit of like, I, and what we generally would say all the time is, you know, in hyperbole, and like, oh man, everybody was there, right? You ever said that? Like, like when you see a tremendous amount of people, and so he's like, listen, like the whole, the countryside were coming, and like all the city was coming. I mean, he's making this, but either way, it's an insane amount of people for him to make this statement. So this wasn't like a handful of people coming down to where the river was out in the wilderness to wash their clothes. It, it would have been thousands and thousands of people. And it actually wasn't an easy or safe journey for someone from the city to come out there to where he was at the Jordan River. And so it would have been a, a day at least, a day's journey, and it wouldn't have been fully safe. Like they, would have, they were planning their lives around this. This was an event to kind of pack up, have food and all these things, to stay over, sleep, all that, to get there and be part of this. So it was an event. And then, and then like religious leaders are coming out to, to see this. And so let's jump down to John. So Mark, Mark helped us see how huge of an event this was. And then and John begins to show us how, uh, so this is confusing. So this is John the writer writing about a guy named John, just so you know, okay? Because when you read John, you have to kind of understand there's two Johns here, okay? So there you have it. So John, this is found in John 1, but it's not the same God. Okay, I probably just made that more confusing for you, so I'm sorry. So there you have it. So, but uh, he talks about how John began to point towards Christ and began to appoint people to Jesus. And so this is what he says here in John 1, 15. It says, John testified concerning him. And this is meaning Jesus. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And that verse begins to help you and I see the foundation in which John stood on. He's saying, this is the one I, I've been talking about this. He's coming after me. He has surpassed me. I'm not the ultimate. He is. It's what he's saying. But his popularity had all these people there and all the important people. And in that culture in the time, it was the religious leaders were some of the most important people around. And so if we can skip down to the verse 19 now, it says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. Like, they, they see this happening. They're like, what's going on? Who are you? 
So when he asked them who he was, he annoys, he actually kind of ignores their initial questions because he just knows what they're getting to. So he, he just goes right out and answers the, the ultimate one. He goes, I am not the Messiah. Because that's what this whole culture was about. They had read in their scriptures that there was a promised Messiah, a Savior that was to come. And, and, and they are always longing to see this. And so they see this insane amount of people like, whoa, this is way different than anything else we've seen. So that's what they wanted to know. And so then they're like, okay, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And so the scriptures talked about a, an, another Elijah to come and all these different things. And they're trying to figure out what did, what did God mean when he was saying this in the prophets long ago. And so they thought that maybe those people just appear or like reincarnate or something. They just like all the, they weren't really sure of like what God meant. And so he's like, no, I'm not. And they're like, are you, are you the, the prophet? He's like, no. So finally they're like, well, who are you? What do you say about yourself? So here it is, like the big moment. Important people want to know, they're asking. Like you got this thing, you can establish yourself right now. Like, like he's got them at his, his waking call, his fingertips. So what does he say? Verse 23 in this in chapter of John, chapter 1, it says, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. He says, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight, excuse me, make straight the way for the Lord. So he's calling them back to prophecies that there was one that was coming before the Messiah to announce him. He's saying, I'm a road sign. I'm here to point people a directional marker towards the way that you need to go. So it's now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize, baptize if you're not the Messiah or Elijah nor a prophet? So he says, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He continues to be this marker, pointing towards the one who's more significant than he is. So it says the next day, so like another day happens, okay? It says John saw Jesus coming towards him. So Jesus is here now. He's there amongst them, and he says, look. He begins to point people's attention away from him towards Christ. He's this directional marker. And I can't imagine how hard this would be because he's getting what every single one of us want. Attention. Acceptance, recognition, the popularity, all of that. Like We want that. We want to be known well. You want to have your life mean something and, and be significant. I mean, when we watch stories of others in our own country and other in, in the world that, that finally get to this place, or you watch a, a, a competition on some TV show, whether it's a bake-off or a singing competition, and then they're known, and they, this, this thing that they've done and worked so hard on finally gets recognized publicly. It's everything that we want, right? Like, we, we break down in tears, and we're blown away, and we begin to think about the, the parents that came before us, the sacrifice for these moments. Like, this, he got all of this. His story, it's right there, and he's giving it up and willingly pointing towards him. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And then another day happens. It continues here. We'll skip down to verse 35 here. It says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, <laughs> there it is again. He just keeps pointing. He says, The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Now here's what's interesting. When, when the two disciples, John's disciples, that he had been leading, that were following him, he'd been teaching, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They left him and followed Jesus. They unfollowed John. And so this began to, 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 like, to frustrate and bother others of his fans, so to speak. And they came running to try to prop him up. They came to John here, it says, uh, and, and this is down in John, John 3. They say they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, meaning teacher, he's like, that man. It's like, you're our teacher, but this man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified, look, he is baptizing. He's beginning to do things that you were doing. He's copying you. He's like, they're like, you're the baptizer. That's what you're known for. That's your gig. You invented this, right? That's not what the scripture, I'm just saying this was like what they meant. And they say, and everyone is going to him. Like they're freaking out. They're losing their fans, so to speak. So what does he say? To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. And that's a huge statement. And what we see is the foundation for John's heart, what he stood on. And it's easy for us to look at this and be like, yeah, like he's, he's supposed to do this. He knew his role. But, but this is, when this happens in our lives, when our identity is on this, we freak out. When you lose followers or people walk away or it wasn't as popular as it was or I don't know what it is, that you, whatever you're doing or in your job, you have a setback or someone else is picked instead of you. You're devastated. In fact, we freak out. And you'll know how important this is, is when you begin to have anxiety, you feel anxious. When things pull back from us that we enjoyed when it was there. It's one of the hardest emotions, I believe, especially in our adult lives, to experience. And John's identity and his foundation was solid. That he could lose it. And he lost it. He was eventually in prison for his pursuit of Christ. It's incredible. And and to lose it and not be worried at all, but in fact to be purposeful about it. And how is that? Well, that statement, a person can only receive what is given to them from heaven. He realized it was a gift, that God had given him this. And so in this time when everything was an upswing, it didn't change who he was. He understood it as a gift, just as like any time when your life is at a low point. And that foundation gave him a steadiness, no matter what it was. It's incredible. Being known, we see it, we understand it. It's a, we, are, we are stewards 
of what God has given us. We just came out of the Being Rich series, and we learned, like, when we are blessed financially, it's a gift from God. And that it's an opportunity to use it as a tool to love and serve Him. And it's like that in every area of our lives. It's a gift. And when the know, being known happens, when everything what you want to see happens, happens, it's this temporary stewardship from God. And so credit or recognition and status and influence, all those things are gifts. And so God sometimes appoints us to be popular. So God sometimes appoints us to be known, to have these things. And a lot of times he doesn't. God works in the, the smallest things and in the largest. And I think a myth is for us, you know, maybe a lie that we believe is that, well, if you're godly, you're not supposed to be popular. And I don't think that's true. There are absolutely times that God, you know, puts us in positions. But sometimes it just exposes our hearts. And so you see people rise to prominence. And sometimes it's a Christian. And they're like, all these things. And then we like, whoa, they had this huge dark side. What happened? It just blew up the foundation of their heart. And whatever was there when it was small just exploded when it was huge. And so what's the foundation of our heart? And we, when we recognize these things are a gift, we begin to understand that this is a combination of things we have little control over. When this happens, where, and to whom. Like where you were born, when you were born, and to whom. The color of your skin, the neighborhood you lived in, the ability and the means of your parents. You didn't get to choose those things. The opportunities you have because of where you lived or the opportunities you didn't have or the health, the DNA that came unraveling out there or the accident that happened or the incredible fortune that came along. You're like, we don't have many, many times, very, we have very little control over those things. How many people from the past that we recognize as one of the experts and incredible artists or inventors never got recognition. Sometimes they were, they were punished for what they said. That was true. And now they're recognized as huge people in history. And their paintings or their works go for unreal amounts of money that they never saw or realized. And then how many people do we see in our own culture are terrible at music or whatever, yet they, they become popular and like we see them flourish and have all this money and they're like, how? Like we were so confused. We just don't have control over this. And so we recognize it's a gift. It changes how we respond. And it's such a foundation for you and me. And so John says, he says, a person can only receive only what is given to them from heaven. He continues, he said, you yourselves can testify that I said, he says, I said this, remember, he says, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. And he says this, I love this. He says, he must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes is from above, is above all, the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. And that's it. That's it. He's like, I get it. I'm not God, but there is one who is. 
And he is the ultimate. And the best thing for me to do, the most satisfying, fulfilling thing in my life is to point everyone to him. That God has given me this for that purpose. And I'm living towards that. And so when we learn to handle being known, how do we become a known survivor? How does it not wreck and destroy your life and send you into this tailspin of constantly chasing it? Or being like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite who's throwing footballs in his trailer out in the field like trying to get back his high school glory. That's a really old random reference that my wife and I love to joke about anyway. But there you go. If you know who Uncle Rico is, like that, that, like we get that fame, we get that being known, and then our whole lives hangs on that moment. Why can't we get that back? Versus understanding that this is a gift from God and what a blessing that was. So to be a known survivor, when we look at what they were helping us see from John, is to remember who it's from and to remember who it's for. We can put this up if you guys want to. Just put all all four things up here. To remember who it's from and who it's for. The abilities you have, the gifts, and then you guys here have such incredible gifts. That's why I love living in the city here. God has gifted us with these abilities, and He has made it for Him. And that's not God being arrogant, it's just being who He is, that He's the ultimate thing. And that's why we declare that. Our known is for His renown. Our greatest satisfaction is found when we give him glory. And when we use what we've given us to point towards him, it's beautiful. It leads us into purpose. It takes the pressure off of our hearts. All of that. Our being known is for his renown. And your appetite for being known will never be satisfied by a number, but only by a name. Only by Christ and pointing towards Him. So it's about a who, not how many. This for me has been challenged this year. If you've read any article, it was a fascinating article in the New York Times that came out uh, this last week, where it's interviewing pastors across the country because church has not looked like it's ever been. And these massive churches are seeing like 25% attendance and all these different things. And for me as a pastor, it's like, where do we meet? And then it's like, we meet. And, and, and if you've heard this, I talked about this last week. We started off, we got back to consistent in-person services last summer. We started doing two services based on some numbers we'd seen. And, and then I was like, oh, we're a little too spread out. Like I was trying to spread, it, spread us out just because of COVID and everything. And then it, like, the numbers we see have never been like we've seen before. And if my identity is in a number, I'm wrecked. It was challenged. It's about Him. Our focus, when it's on Him, it changes everything else. It's about a who, not how many. And this is not how culture, how culture lives. I mean, we've watched our friends here. We've watched friends in this city that are incredibly gifted and blessed with money, like in unbelievable ways, and buying entire buildings. 
and then going into debt almost doubly so they can have more. And then moving because they're not satisfied with that and trying to pursue more and more. And it's never enough. Whereas if they had looked back at their lives 20 years before and just in one of those circumstances, they'd have been like, man, that would be the ultimate. But our hearts betray us and everything around us is we compare and all these things and we don't know how to get past it. But it can be a gift as well to help you love others well and be part of history and be part of this incredible story that God has given us. I remember several years ago, a long time ago now actually, a pastor of mine, the church I went to, just randomly one day mailed me a card and said, I'm praying for you. I was thinking, he's like, in fact, in the card he wrote, every week or two I have a list of people that I ring up today, they're on my list. And he wrote me to know about that. I had no idea. Someone that I cared about, who was thinking of me, and I didn't live where he lived anymore. And I was blown away by this recognition of being known. It was, it was incredible. That meant so much to me. And I think about our Heavenly Father. Thinks about you like that. He knows you more than you know yourself. And I remember thinking, if only I, I could remain that focused on the approval of my Heavenly Father, it would change how I lived. If we remember who allowed us to be known and who we were to be known for, it's a foundation for you and I. So for you and I, we want to remember. Remember who it's from and who it's for. We can, only, we can receive only what is given to us from heaven. And when we realize that, it changes our approach. And then you get after it. You kill it at your job and your work. And so from that foundation, you work hard. Hone your craft. Get after because that's what we love to do here, right? You broaden your influence. You build your career. Write great books. Move mountains. Change life. Be teacher of the year. Then take a deep breath and listen for the applause of heaven. Of heaven. The applause of the one who knew you first and who knows you best, who gifted you, who called you, and in the end is, is, is the one of the only applause that's going to matter. It's the one that's going to last for eternity. And if we do our best to love him in this way, one day we'll get to hear, well done, you killed it. And you're going to blow it, and that's why we need his grace and mercy but what a gift. And I love the story of John. He says, he must become greater and I must become less. Let's learn to kill the pride that will destroy us and have pride in the one who leads us to eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for these words, for these gospel writers who, who, who begin to see this happen. I can't imagine the conversations about these events that blew them away the more they talked about it. God, it's so hard for me to, to get applause and not just apply it to myself.
But when it goes away, do not be devastated. We're all like that. Father, we need you. Pray that we would discover the joy and especially the freedom of having you be the purpose of our lives. And I pray that we would kill it in our jobs from that foundation. And so whether we're known or everything pulls out from underneath us, our identity is solid and secure in you. We thank you, Father. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.